So how many of us, how many of us understand what we do when we come here today? We come and we hear in English something that we've done for decades, possibly. But how many of us really understand what we're doing? Just because it's in a language that we understand, presumably, doesn't mean that we actually know what go, what, what's going on, what we're doing, what's happening that we're partaking of. Now, recently, Pope Francis came out with his motu proprio, and unless you're a church nerd, you probably didn't even know it. But what he said was that he no longer desires that the traditional Latin Mass be promulgated widely, uh, whereas before, John Paul II and Benedict XVI had given permission to every priest, validly ordained, to celebrate the Tridentine Mass. Now, one must get special permission from their bishop, who has to get special permission from Rome. And he did this in, under the auspices of unity. He would like the church to be more unified. Okay. I get it. But even if we come to Mass in a language that we understand, does that by itself breed unity? Or can we be as un misunderstanding or not understanding in whatever language it is? Just tuck that in your head for a second. We'll come back to that. Food has been vital since the beginning of time for two things. The first is living. If you don't eat, you're going to die. It's a pretty simple premise of, of human existence, well, actually, existence in general. That which does not consume and metabolize things is dead. It's a simple truth we learned in philosophy my first year of seminary. Second, food is vital for praise of God. It has always been associated with sacrificial offerings to the Lord. From the very beginning, with there were, what, four people on earth? Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. And in the second generation of people, we see that Cain and Abel are offering sacrifice to the Lord out of what they did. Cain, livestock. Abel, produce. Cain's offering was not acceptable. Abel's was. Thus, Cain killed Abel. But it was integral to sacrifice to the Lord, and sacrifice being a form of praise, <coughs> that food was it. It was part of it. And this idea that food is important, we find that throughout all of salvation history. From the beginning, in the book of Genesis, after God created the world and put man in it, he said, look, I've given you all these things to eat so that you never have to worry. Just don't eat of that one. He provided for the needs of his children. Fast forward to the Israelites in the desert. That's our first reading today. And they're grumbling. They're being a bit overdramatic. They are preferring slavery in Egypt to freedom in the desert. Because at least in slavery, we had food. That's what's happening in the first reading. They are complaining to Moses to complain to God that, you know, back in Pharaoh's land, we ate pretty well. Sure, there was widespread oppression. We were being worked till death. But at least we had cucumbers and melons. That's like a direct quote from, okay, I paraphrased it a little bit, but 
They list the things that they miss about slavery in Egypt. Well, we had leeks, cucumbers, melons, flesh. We had meat. And so the Lord provides for them. He says, okay, not only will I give you bread, but I will give you flesh. And so the bread comes down from heaven in the form of manna that covers the earth, and they are to go out and collect it. And then at night, he sends quail upon them so that they may have their fill of flesh. And actually, it says further on in the reading that they have so much flesh that it's coming out of their nose. They get sick on it. But the Lord still provides for them. He gives them what they need when they need it. So this idea of food being integral to life and part of sacrifice is also a sign that the Lord is taking care of his people. He provides for them what they are going to need. Now we get to the gospel today. John chapter 6, bread of life discourse. This is like where we get most of our Eucharistic theology. Jesus is talking about food that endures forever, eternally, that does not go bad, does not spoil, is not here temporarily, but that food which endures forever. And the, the people arguing with Jesus say, well, what can you do? Our ancestors had the miracle of the bread from heaven in the desert. And Jesus says to them, those who come to me will never hunger. Those who come to me will never thirst. This idea that he is, again, providing food for his children when they need it. His body and blood that is the food that he is providing. He gets to that later on in John chapter 6. But right now he just says, to do the work of God, this is the food from heaven. This is what you will be sustained on. And the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent, which is me, Jesus. So therefore, when you come to me, you will not be hungry, you will not be thirsty. And they're coming to him again because he has just done the miracle of loaves and fishes and their bellies are full. And they are being provided for. Now, let's take another like hard right turn. Follow me. Don't get too lost. We've talked about traditional Latin mass, now food in the desert. Now one more turn, but I'll, I'll probably wrap it up, I hope. The prefaces that we use at mass, this is called the Roman Missal. Don't know if you've ever seen it or looked at it. It's the big book of everything that a priest needs to say mass. Contained herein, is every single Mass of every single day of the liturgical year that I could say, from January 1st to December 31st, all in here. At each Mass, we have certain parts, and one of the first parts of the Liturgy of the Eucharist is known as the preface. The preface is what sets us up for the Eucharistic prayer. It directs our worship for why we are there that day. We have prefaces for feast days, you know, the body and blood of Christ, Mary, we have different saints' feast days, which it talks about uh, holy men and women and, you know, apostles, martyrs, virgins, pastors. Like, we've got different prefaces assigned to each one. And then we have prefaces on Sunday, which are uh, particular to Sunday liturgy. Now, these things inform us what we're about to pray in the Eucharistic prayer. And it's broken up. We have the preface, then we have the Sanctus, then we have the Eucharistic prayer, the words of... Con uh, words of institution, and then we pray for very specific things. So that's kind of like the framework around which our liturgy is centered. Now, mostly, when you come to Mass, let me just give you an idea. 
all of the Eucharistic prayers that are available are here. They are these tabs right here. If you can't see, there's about 30 of them. I mean, there's a lot of them in this book. How many do you normally hear during the liturgical year? The answer is two, if you're lucky. You hear Eucharistic prayer two, which is the one most priests use, because when we have like seven masses to say, it's the shortest one and it gets us done quickly. Eucharistic prayer three is the prayer that allows us to enter the saint's name of the day in that Eucharistic prayer. So if it's a feast day for your favorite saint as the celebrant, you can use that prayer and you can throw their name in there in the acceptable spot. Eucharistic prayer one is usually reserved for high feast days and holy days of obligation. It's the longest of all of them, and it's only about the longest by like 20 seconds. But still, it's a lot of words, so people like to stay away from it. But there are like 30 Eucharistic prayers in here, okay? The one that I'm going to use today is Eucharistic prayer four, which can only be used during ordinary time. Why? Because it has a specific preface, which is tied to the Eucharistic prayer, which when taken in its entirety is one thought. It's just one thought all the way through, and that thought is the continuum of salvation from the very beginning of creation all the way to Jesus up to today. And that's what our readings from the Old Testament to the New to the Gospel and the Psalm all do today for us. They talk about the continuum of salvation from the very beginning all the way through today. And so it is one thought that we pray with today, and that is, from the beginning, the Lord had a plan, and the plan has not deviated despite our disobedience. But even through our disobedience, the Lord's plan of salvation continues and is being brought to fulfillment even now through the Mass. So there's one or two parts that I want to focus on in Eucharistic Prayer 4, because I think, as I said, even though this is the language we all speak, it's the common tongue, not too many of us have ever had a missile in front of us like this where we can just go through it and look at what we actually pray for. Now, you can Google it. By all means, Google all the Eucharistic prayers and just read through them. But I'm going to highlight part of this one today because I think it's very important. This portion is taken after the memorial acclamation. So we have the preface, we have the holy, 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 we have the words of institution, then we have the memorial acclamation, and then this is the part that I'm focusing on now. This is, as I said, the way the church prays. It says, look, O Lord, upon the sacrifice which you yourself have provided for your church. This is the sacrifice of the mass. The language of the church has never changed. It's always called the holy sacrifice of the mass. That's its formal name. So we're asking the Lord to look upon the sacrifice which he himself provided, which means that it was started at the Last Supper culminated on the cross, and the manifestation of that is today the Mass that we participate in. Now, here's some trippy philosophical stuff that I've actually said before in many homilies, but it were, it's worth repeating again. We never crucify Christ again. A participation in the Mass is only a participation in the one sacrifice offered for all eternity. So we are brought through the grace of the Lord, we are brought to the foot of the cross once and for all this is an eternal sacrifice that's what we mean when we say the eternal sacrifice offered by the lord is that it is at one time and always going on and when we go to mass we participate in that sacrifice side note 
That's why all of the altars up until 1962 were made of stone, because the altar is the foot on which the cross stands. And it, that is the rock, the Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's why it had to be marble or stone. That's why now altars have altar stones in them. Anyway, I digress. Look, O Lord, upon the sacrifice which you yourself have provided for your church, and grant in your loving kindness to all who partake in this one bread and one chalice that gathered into one body by the Holy Spirit, they may truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. That's a lot. And it's almost mind-blowing what we just said. Grant in your loving kindness. So through the grace of the Lord, grant that all who participate in the one bread and the one chalice. So those who participate in the Eucharist, though we be many, may we be gathered into one body by the Holy Spirit. So you come as separate people. You are brought together by the Holy Spirit and you are transformed into one communal body of Christ. That's what we believe you are as the church. We are the body of Christ. We are not divided in, as he says in the, in the letters of St. Paul's, Jews, Greeks, Parthenons, Medes, all these. No, we are one body in Christ. And when we are one body in Christ, that they may truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. So not only are we coming, praying that we might be transformed into the body of Christ, but we are also asking that the Lord bring us into his sacrifice, made us part of his redeeming uh, sacrifice eternally. So not only are we coming asking to pray for other people, but we are praying that we be made part of his sacrificial offering through the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's some mind-blowing stuff. That's why I ask, when we come to Mass, when we listen to what the priest says, we, by our silence, we are assenting to what he's saying. We're saying, yes, I agree with you. But do we ever look at what the priest actually says? Because if we do, it is not only beautiful, it is so nuanced, and it is absolutely worth taking a look at to know what it is that we are agreeing to that the priest is praying. Right after that, we pray for very certain things. It says, Therefore, Lord, remember now all for whom we offer this sacrifice. So we're about to tell the Lord how we want to pray this Mass. First, we pray especially for your servant, Francis, our Pope. So we start at the head of the church. We pray for unity under the Vicar of Christ. Fran uh, uh, Barry Christopher, our Bishop, now we've come locally. Right? We pray for unity under our Shepherd. The whole order of bishops, now we pray that there may be collegiality and uh, agreement among the bishops, that there might not be dissension, backbiting, and division, but that they might be one as Christ prayed in John 15. All the clergy, we're praying for the whole pyramid scheme at this point. We've prayed for the CEO, then the vice president, now the regional managers, and now we're praying for the foot soldiers. All the clergy, priests and deacons. Then we take another turn. Because it's good that we pray for the hierarchy of the church, but that is a small portion of who the church is. As I said, you are the body of Christ, are you not? So now we pray for them. Those who partake in this offering, this offering, meaning the Mass, we pray for everyone who participates in the Mass. Those gathered here before you. So now we are praying specifically for you. You in this particular Mass are praying for everyone else here. Your entire people, 
Now we've just prayed for all of humanity. And people say that the Catholic Church is exclusive. Well, we kind of are. But we're also praying for all of humanity right here. And it's not enough to just pray for all of humanity, but we go a step further. And all who seek you with a sincere heart. So now we are praying for all of those people who are searching in life for truth, beauty, and goodness. Because the source of truth, beauty, and goodness can only be found in the divine. So those who are seeking truth with a sincere heart, without knowing it, are seeking the Lord. And so we pray for them. Now the church goes a step further because it's nice to pray for those people who are alive. We also pray for the dead, the church triumphant. Remember also those who have died in the peace of your Christ, those baptized. All the dead. So not only did we pray for all of the living before, now we're praying for every single person that has ever died. Those whose faith you alone have known. We are praying for the entirety of all of humanity that was, that is, and that ever will be. Those who seek Christ with a sincere heart, those who seek truth, that they may all be brought in to the knowledge of Christ. That they, through searching for truth, might find it in the Eucharist. That they may also be transformed, like we ask to be transformed, into the church, into the body of Christ. That we may not be the same people that we were when we entered this church. As St. Paul prays in the second uh, reading today, that we might be transformed, renewed in mind. That we may put away old ways and be made new. This is what the church prays for every time we come to Mass. Whether we use this Eucharistic prayer or not, some form of this prayer is offered. And it's beautiful. And so we come knowing that the Lord has always, through the entire history of salvation, provided for the needs, mostly through food, for his children. And that that has not ended. And it is continued through the Mass, through the sacrifice which he himself instituted, through the reception of the Eucharist, that we would be transformed, and that those who seek truth would also be transformed through the Eucharist. So as we continue to pray this Mass, listen to the words that we pray. Ask the Lord for the grace to be converted in heart and mind, and pray for those who do not yet know the truth of the Eucharist. 